You're listening to Sarah Hagen backstage with interviews and insights from years inside the music industry. Join Sarah as she talks with masters of their crafts, finding out what makes them tick both inside and outside of the music business. Welcome to Sarah Hagen Backstage. My guest today, Chris Fryer, is best known as the drummer for Zach Brown Band, but he has played with countless other superstar musicians, and he is a teacher. I'm going to talk to Chris about all of these things today, and we will geek out about the drumming community and other drummers as well. So come along with me as I catch up with Chris Fryer. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for being here. It's awesome to see you. It is wonderful to see you. It's been too long since we've seen each other in person. It has been way, way, way too long. And I know you came through Boston um, and yeah. I missed you because I was still kind of in my, my bubble. Um, yeah, it's time, all right. Right. But, <laughs> but I did miss you because you always play Fenway Park and it's just like the greatest time. Yeah. We actually uh, we we it, it enlarged our record of uh, consecutive sold out shows the last time we were there. I think that's became number twelve. Oh my! So twelve goodness. consecutive sold out shows. That's incredible. That that yeah. show in the summertime at Fenway Park is always one of my favorites of the year because it's just like the atmosphere is great and yeah. you know it's just like a fun fun show. You guys put on a great show and well thank you the fans in boston are amazing right they yeah. are i i agree i'm a little biased but I <laughs> <laughs> they, you know that it's like a really cool thing to be able to play it at fenway um it i'm a i'm a baseball fan uh, when i was a kid i wanted to play baseball uh I, I had just started getting good at it and i break my leg and and Spent an entire summer. Yeah, I spent an entire summer laid up on the couch. And the only thing I could do was practice on a pillow. And so things sort of changed. You know, they say that, you know, God has a a plan for you and and he lets you know what it is. And uh, he sure let me know what it was. was. And uh, so I finally got to start playing at all these, you know, I, I finally got to play at Fenway. Uh, just not as a ball player, you know, as a as a drummer, and it's wow. it, it's such a special place. It's um, if you've never taken a tour of the park, you should. Um, yes, yes, they have I this. Have, you I have. have? I have done it a couple of times, but okay. for anyone who visits Boston, and I'll let you talk about it, but it is an amazing tour. But go ahead. It, yeah, it really is. My favorite part of the whole tour is uh, the collection of World Series uh, balls. They have, they're, I think they probably keep an armed guard watching over them night and day. Mm-hmm. But uh, these enormous glass cases that have all these baseballs and they've been signed by the World mm-hmm. Series teams, you know, the, the winning champions. Um, and it's so mesmerizing to me and, and awe-striking to see, you know, you hear about all these heroes, you know, Babe Ruth and Luke Gehrig, and, you know, there their signatures are, right there. You know, yeah. they're the murderer's row. You hear everybody talk about it, you know. Yeah. And, and there they are. That's all their signatures are right there together. Yeah. And, uh, it's pretty yeah. It's pretty incredible. The history 
is amazing. There's, there's right? even a blank ball. I forget which year it was that there there was no World Series that all the ball players were on strike. And there's oh, a blank boy. baseball for the year that there was no World Series champion. <laughs> it's I mean it's pretty neat that like they thought yeah. they, instead of having an empty space they just put a they blank put a blank ball, ball there. there. Yeah, I like that. It marks it, you know marks time in uh, sure in history. I <laughs> I still remember the first time that I went to Fenway and walked out from the back you know through into this this seating area and saw the park. And I was oh, just yeah. like, oh, this is magic. It's so, yeah. it's just, it's a magical place. There's something about yeah. it. And then, like you said, the tour is super fun, all the history. And then sometimes, I'm not sure if they stop doing it and then they do it again or they do it only sometimes, but sometimes you get to go behind the green monster. I have been. Do that. Yes. Yes. That's so cool. It's so hot in there. Oh, my yeah. Lord. I don't know how anybody does the job of keeping score back to, back there in that cave. Right. Oh my gosh, it gets so hot. Yes, and, and they would uh, keep like coolers of ice, right? Yeah. To like keep drinking and keep themselves cool. And I oh, do yeah. remember, I remember a fun story for anyone who is a baseball fan or would watch the Sox when Manny Ramirez was playing. Um, and he would always go into the Green Monster. Like anytime there was a break, there's a door and he would go in there. And you'd be like, what is Manny doing back there? And there was this whole rumor that there was a bathroom in there, which there's not. Um, but on, on the Fenway Park tour, they say that he would go back there and he would take um, like fruit cups from the the coolers that the guys had back there. That's what he would oh, do. Yeah. He was back there like eating fruit cups. So wow. I never wondered what Manny was doing in the Green Monster. He was eating <laughs> He was he was knitting. He was working yeah. on his, his knitting. <laughs> that too. He was knitting a sock, a red sock. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, I did miss seeing you in person this year. And of course, yeah. I can't I can't wait for the next time we can get together. But speaking of the past almost two years now, which is really yeah. crazy to say, how have you been? How how has everything been for you through this time? You know, it's it so it in it was 2020 so it was early 2020 um zach brown band had just started we'd had rehearsals and we had played maybe maybe i, I know we did two weekends worth of shows mm -hmm. um and that was kind of the beginning of the year like late february and then everything everything just like went nuts um we had, it, it's a lot, a lot went on uh, in my world. So the, we had all the tours got canceled and all the shows went away. And, and of course that has all kinds of, uh, you know, personal financial ramifications. <laughs> right. <laughs> that you have to be prepared to, to deal with. And, and, you know, luckily I was crazy enough to, you know, save a lot of money and was okay with not having to work. Mm -hmm. Um, um, I'm very glad to be working again because <laughs> yes. now I can start saving money again. But, right. you know, there were a lot of musicians and, and crew members that um, just did, and, and all, all across the, the land that, um, that really took a hit when the entire industry shut down. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and the ripple effect is a, incredible. And I don't, 
if you're in the industry and you saw what it was doing, you have an appreciation for what happened. But if you if you're not familiar with with how how fast the music industry can be, then you certainly don't have an appreciation for it. I mean, there's uh, our techs, our you know our road crew that you know they set up and tear down all the gear every night. Yeah the drivers that drive the buses and the trucks. And then you've got the local crews at every place that you go and play. So there's, you know, every time you put on a show, there's anywhere from 60 to a hundred local crew members that, you know, they're getting work when, when a rock and roll tour comes through town and you've got all the promoters and you've got all the people who are doing the marketing at the venue. And and it just, it, the ripple effect just keeps going. And, you know, no tours means there's nobody blowing through drumsticks and heads and cymbals and hardware and drums, which means everything slows down in that aspect of the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, it just went everywhere. Um, for me personally, it was, I never realized how much I needed a vacation. <laughs> I had been uh, basically a road dog for, I don't know, almost almost 30 years. I hate to say it, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had never really taken any significant time off. And so it was nice to get a, a, a vacation of sorts, albeit it was forced. Right. Um, so there was that, you know, my, my wife and I, we had some, uh, we had some deaths in the family that we were able to, I was able to be here for, you know, to, to help deal with that. And, uh, um, you know, uh, my one of my daughters got married. I'm about to see my other daughter get married. It's you know, it's a big lot of lot of lot of things are going on. You know, yeah. uh, But this year, for the latter, the second half of the of this year, 2021, um, we were able to actually get out on the road and play some shows. So we played, mm-hmm. um, you know, basically about a half a year uh, worth of tour dates that we would normally be doing. Sure. Um, kind of crammed them all into just a few months and we uh we managed to i don't want to say we got away scot-free but we we managed to do really well on keeping everybody safe and healthy mm-hmm. um you know a couple of the guys got sick along the way um we managed to do things uh you know move some uh, everybody in the bands are real uh really talented musicians so uh when our bass player had to miss a weekend then you know john hopkins who's our he used to play bass in the band he yeah he just pulled out his old bass and dusted off the chops and like just boom we just never even skipped a beat really in terms of being able to play the shows Uh, you know it felt different it it sounded different um we all developed an appreciation for how good a bass player he is but then also uh a, a renewed appreciation for how good of a bass player uh, Matt Mangano is so mm-hmm. yeah it was really cool and then you know now here we are you know I, yeah. I managed to I'm let's see I'm trying to think what else has happened um well you started what, um teaching right oh yeah well yeah exactly so I I, I have been teaching at Samford University in uh in Birmingham Alabama I've been helping out teaching applied drum set um which is really cool. Uh, they've started a commercial music program there and they wanted somebody to come in and 
teach uh, drum set guys who were going to be coming through and obviously be a part of a commercial music program. Uh, mm-hmm. I and I. I'm really enjoying it. It's I've only got a couple of students this semester, but they're looking to add more students to the to the workload. And and I'm uh, as long as I can still do the touring job, uh, I'm going to make it work. It's a lot of fun. It's it's a lot tougher than you would think in terms of like having to, you know, if somebody shows up for for a one off lesson, you know, like you sit around, you hang out for two or three hours and Mm-hmm. I show them a bunch of stuff and then send them on their way. And I don't see them again for another lesson uh, for, you know, at least six months, you know. Right, right. This is every week. So having to pace myself and then also give give them challenging things to work on, you know. Right. So I've got to give the guys, uh, my, my two students, um, this, this semester, you know, the challenge for me has been, finding ways to challenge them and their sensibilities and undo the bad habits and help install new ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's been something we've been working on. And, and um, it, I started teaching them out of the Gary Chafee's Patterns, Volume 3, which is the time-functioning uh, book. And when they, both of them, when they first opened it up and they see that first page of exercise, they're like, you're going to start me out with this? And I said, yeah, man. And uh, I just want you to play it right now. And so they're both good readers, mm-hmm. but they get about, you know, three or four examples in and all of a sudden things start getting tricky. Yeah. And they both had to stop and take a minute and like, whoa, wait a minute. This is, this is tougher than I initially thought. And mm-hmm. I said, well, that's the idea. You know, it's, it's supposed to be challenging to you, but not, not completely unattainable. So, and they're doing great. I mean, these guys are really going to be, they're going to be really talented kids. That's so great. I, I think yeah. like one of the challenges in teaching is um, recognizing the students' individual needs and talent. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, and like yeah. really, I think it makes it, it makes it hard because you're catering to everyone's different level and ability and strengths and, yeah. and all of that stuff. And, well, and you have to, on a, on, you know, on a college level, you kind of have to set a syllabus and you, mm-hmm. here's the, here's point A and here's point B. And we have to get, we have a semester to get from here to here. Mm-hmm. And it's so that, you know, it's, it's a little bit less accommodating for someone who may be, you know, the, the white, for example, uh, one of my students had a really weak foot, uh, couldn't mm-hmm. do double strokes very well at all. And so that was a challenge because there were a lot of multiple strokes in those fat back exercises that I was mm-hmm. having him work on. The beauty of it is through those exercises, he was able to really improve his his uh, his strength, his precision, and his endurance on playing multiple strokes. Uh, with the bass drum. So it's it's been the perfect material for him. Now, my other student flew right past most of that, and it was, mm-hmm. it was other things in the book that were giving him trouble. And so seeing how they, as you say, they operate at different speeds, they learn different things in different ways. We're all individuals, and so we're all going to internalize things and information. And, and what interests me in the long term is seeing how I know how I, in, in internalize the information and how 
I use it out in the in a real world application. Mm -hmm. And so I'm interested to see how they internalize it and how they use it and mm -hmm. utilize it because it's going to be different. And it's going to that's where their individuality is going to really come out. And and yeah. that excites me. You know, yeah. that I find inspiring. Absolutely. Yeah, that'll be nice to follow along with what they do into the future, you know, where they where they go and where they end up. Oh, yeah. Um, I love that. I it's it's been a long time since I taught, but um, I keep in touch with some of the kids that I taught way back when. And, cool. you know, a lot of them are still playing and it just makes me so happy. Um that's so and I, awesome. Yeah, I, I love that part about it. And I keep in touch with my um, drum teacher from high school um, and on. He, he worked at Berkeley for years. Oh, uh, cool. Todd, Todd Oliveri is his name. It's just, um, it's just really nice. Like, you never forget the people who gave you the skills and helped you through and yeah. helped you progress on your journey. And, and so that's awesome that you're that person for these for these students. So I'm excited it's, that you got a chance to, to get into that. Oh yeah. Know, it's yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's uh, like I said, a little tougher than I had anticipated, but I really, really enjoy it. Absolutely. That's so great. And I love, I know we've talked about this before, but not on this podcast. So we'll revisit it a little bit, but your, awesome. yeah, your start in drumming. Um, you started pretty young. Right. I mean, even though you were, when well, you were playing baseball. Um, yeah. So I was, yeah, doing little league stuff. And then I, I joined the junior high concert band, beginner band. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was about 11 or 12. Okay. So it was in the, in the seventh grade. And then I actually, like, I, it's for whatever reason, it just clicked and made sense reading music, um, or at least reading rhythms. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it just like it was like to me. It was like reading a ruler. You know, yeah, and right. It's it, math it, in a lot of ways. It's 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 very mathematical, it, just like that. yeah. And I suck at math, but I'm good at <laughs> <laughs> I'm good at rhythms. So right. go figure. But uh, I I really, you know, that was that two years of junior high band was really important for me because that's where I learned how to read music and I learned how to read rhythms and I never really had outside of you know high school band instruction I never really had a drum teacher so mm -hmm. but what I did have was an ability to look at material and read it and know what it's supposed to sound like and then I could go through it at my own pace kind of teach myself and then I listened to a lot of records mm -hmm. and so my real teachers when, when I was 16, I got my first drum kit at 14, and I started hanging out in these jazz clubs when I was about 16 years old. As soon as I could drive, I'd go down and hang out. Mm -hmm. And and I, I, I'm sure, you know, some of the listeners have heard me tell this story before, but it's, I mean, it's a very important part of my development musically. I would go and hang out and watch the drummers who would play, and they would, more often than not, take me under their wing and and kind of give me tips and pointers and they would you know they would let me sit in and they would listen to what i what i played and they would say hey man you know that was really cool what you were trying to do but have you thought about trying it this way and mm -hmm. 
hey man, if you know if you if you shift that bass drum beat just a little bit, you know the groove's gonna get better and it's gonna feel better. You know they would just little things along the way, and so those guys were my teachers, uh, even though they didn't realize it and and I didn't really look at it in in a formal sense, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was you know all these great drummers here in Birmingham that you know. I would go and watch and, and listen and pay attention to. And, mm. and eventually they were the guys who were calling me to sub on gigs. You know, they would say, Hey man, you want to, you want to do this gig? Yeah, sure. Yeah. They would tell me, Oh, it doesn't pay much. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> it, it, I, I literally have had two drum drum set lessons. I, I took some uh, xylophone lessons and timpani lessons when I was in, in a senior in high school to try to prepare me for, um, getting into North Texas State, mm-hmm. uh, that audition process. So mm-hmm. I took some xylophone lessons and some timpani lessons, but the, I've only had two drum set lessons. One was from Ed Thickpin, the masterful brush player. Um, wow! It was a like a a lesson after a clinic he did in Birmingham, and the music store owner said, "You're sticking around for a lesson with Ed." And I'm like, "I can't afford a lesson with with Ed." He said, "I'm paying for it. I want you to have a lesson with Ed." So I took an hour long, like a master class, me and one other guy sitting there playing brushes with Ed Thigpen, which was super cool. And then my only other like legit drum set lesson was with Ed Sof a handful of years ago. My goodness. Um, For two lessons, those are like really incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I, I, I literally, it was after Ed had retired at North Texas and, uh, I just, through a mutual friend, a former student of his, I reached out to him and we set it up and I, I made a special trip out there and mm-hmm. spent, spent an afternoon with him. And it was great. I really, really enjoyed the way he, he challenged all of my musical sensibilities and all of my drumming sensibilities. It was mm-hmm. so amazing. And it, the, the craziest part was the things I thought he was going to say, hey, that's really great what you're doing, were the things that he said, you're doing that all wrong. Oh my and the God. things I thought he was going to bust me down on, yeah, he was he was just going, oh, that's perfect. Keep doing that. It was, you know, he's a masterful brush player himself. And, and he said, well, let's, yeah. let's talk about brush work. And I literally pick up the brushes and started playing some time with it. And he just kind of shrugs and kind of goes, huh. That's that's really good. Don't, don't change a thing. And I was like, "What? Are you serious?" Wow. <laughs> yeah, he told that. me I was on the right track with that. So I love it. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, I'll have an opportunity with. Uh, I had every intention of following up. You know, it's been several years, and like having a follow up lesson. So, uh, well, yeah. now maybe in a post COVID world, we'll be able to work that out. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, Ed, he's like you said, masterful. Um, One of the very, very top educators. Yeah. Um, It's such a beautiful way of explaining things. It's it's probably as much as gifted as he is playing drums. Mm -hmm. I think his like an even bigger gift is his ability to clearly and succinctly explain something. And once, once he does it, once you get it, you get it. And you're never gonna you're never gonna let, let it go. It's amazing. That's so great. That's so great. <laughs> are you are I'm I'm just curious now if there's anyone else that you're thinking about 
reaching out to about lessons or? Oh my gosh. You know, I have studied out of Gary Chafee's books for, I mean, since I knew that they, they were in existence. So mm -hmm. like I have an, uh, an old copy that was probably, you know, hand Xerox. It was all handwritten on the yeah. inside and wow. typewriter. Yeah. It's like an early edition of, uh, uh, volume three of the pattern series. That's cool. I would love to sit down with Gary. It, it, you know, that would be, that would be really cool. Um, I, every now and again, I'm blessed to uh, have some hang time with Greg Bissonette. Mm -hmm. And anytime I'm with Greg, I always learn something. And yeah. we've never really sort of set up an official, like I'm going to take a lesson kind of situation. Mm -hmm. We literally get together, we share ideas and swap concepts around and I'll show him something that maybe he doesn't know. And he'll show me stuff that I definitely don't know. And um, we have a good time. I love doing that. Um, and, 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 you know, maybe, oh, gosh, I think it would be really cool to sit down with Garibaldi. David Garibaldi is a monster player yes. and yes. he is so underappreciated. Yes, he is. I, I have to tell you, I just met him for the first time at what? Really? I did. And I, I, cause we never really had the opportunity to work together on the industry side. Oh, um, wow. And so I met him at PASIC and I was so nervous about like, I kind of turned around and he was there and he introduced himself. Like I, like, like, <laughs> like you're not gonna know who he is, right? And I, I kind of just stumbled over my words because I didn't know he was right there, so I wasn't coming wow. into it prepared to say hi. Anyway, uh, I was just like, oh my gosh, oh, a little bit starstruck. And he was so down to earth and and yeah, like sweet and just kind of setting up his kit, getting ready, ready for his, his pace at clinic. So I just keep thinking like, I need to reach out to him and just say, by oh, the you way. Totally should. <laughs> yeah, you totally should. I had an opportunity to meet him. It's been a long, a, a really long time ago. Mm -hmm. And it was a clinic situation. I got to see him in a clinic and I wasn't going to be able to stay for the whole clinic. And I had, you know, I was completely fanboying out. Mm -hmm. Um, he was in the middle of setting up his drum kit and saw me just kind of hanging out watching and stopped everything and noticed that I had a CD. Oh and he's my like, God. Hey, Hey, come here. And he calls me over and I introduce myself and, and he sees that I've got live and in living color from 1970. It's a live record they did in 76. Mm -hmm. And he said, Oh wow. I remember that. Those were some fun nights recording. And I said, this record changed my life. Oh, it wow. changed the way I thought about drumming. And he was just so gracious and so kind to stop everything and just take a moment with me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, gosh, I think I was maybe 24, 25 at the time. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. I may be a little bit older. Um, I could have been a little bit older than that, but it was, it's, it's been a long while ago. Yes. And yeah. it just made such a, a beautiful impression on me. And, right. you know, he's, and he's a monster, like I said, he's a monster player. People people think that all he does is like the Tower of Power stuff, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. All of that crazy drumming that he does in that band, all those amazing drum beats that he created mm -hmm. is the tip of the iceberg of what he can yes. do. Yes. I mean, that, yeah. he is, uh, all of his, uh, it, his ability to take, he could take an intricate drum groove 
that he will create that it'll be like the most badass thing ever. Mm-hmm. And then he can take it and his mind is wired in such a way that he has the ability to literally start at any point in that beat and make that point beat one. Mm-hmm. So he could do all of the mathematical permutations of that beat and of that groove. And when you see him demonstrate this, it's off the charts, mind blowing mm-hmm. because you don't question where the one is. You hear the groove and you hear it. You hear how he changes where the beat one is, but you never lose the sense of where beat one is. You're just mm-hmm. listening to the fact that the groove is shifted over by one sixteenth note. It, he's right. just, I cannot sing his praises enough. He's an yes. <laughs> incredibly sweet human being and an, an unbelievably talented and underrated drummer and has been Absolutely. for a long, long, long time. I agree. Absolutely. And I think like so many drummers name him as like a serious influence for them. And, oh, yeah. you know, I, yeah, I'll have to, I, I am going to reach out and just, and just you should. Kind of say it was so nice to meet you. And yeah, so you know who my, you know, uh, another influence of mine that had a knack for doing things unconventionally was Stuart Copeland. Oh, like yeah. The very first record I tried to play along to was Ghost in the Machine. And I had no idea at that, mm-hmm. at a young age of 14, that there was such a thing as an Echoplex tape delay. Yeah. And that <laughs> people like Stuart Copeland could use it on, you know, you could use it on drums. Like I had no idea. I just right. thought he had incredible hi hat work, which he does. Right. But right. Yeah. But there's something going Stuart on. Stuart Copeland there. would be. Yeah. That he would. Yeah. Cop- Copeland would be another guy I would love to take a lesson from. Yeah. Uh, both as a drummer and as a composer. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that dude's a. Stuart Copeland's a, an amazing composer. Yeah. Yeah, he is, and I, I agree with you. Um, definitely kind of growing up and and listening to his drumming and never really like fully grasping what exactly he was doing um was one of those things like (laughs) and he has that he has that modified uh traditional grip where he only hooks Mm. the one finger over and while it seems like it would never work it because i play i play traditional grip so Mm -hmm. i have the two fingers over yep and him having the one finger, you think it wouldn't work, but man, does it ever. He, yeah, it, cut, it, it opens him up in such a beautiful way. Yes, absolutely. And isn't that <laughs> interesting, too? Like, I mean, I wonder how that came about. I would love to ask him that question. Like, how, oh, me too, right? A comfort thing, or, um, I think all of us like develop different ways of playing when we first start out that yeah. are comfortable to us. Personally, um, yeah, I would I would love to ask him. Maybe I'll get the chance to ask him that. So sometime. there was a there's a, a a marimba teacher, a guy named Gordon Stout, mm-hmm. um, exceptionally gifted marimba player and exceptionally gifted teacher. Um, and I remember seeing him in a clinic once, and someone asked him about his technique, and they had commented that it, it just seemed like his technique was rather sloppy. And, and his retort to this was, he said, well, it doesn't matter what it looks like as long as you're getting the prescribed sound. And I, I play in a way that's comfortable to me. Mm-hmm. And so it's comfortable for me to play this way. And I play relaxed. 
And so I don't care what it looks like as long as I'm getting the prescribed sound. And I thought, right. man, that is so beautiful. And that was, you know, I, I, I keep seeing examples of that as I yes. continue on in life, you know. <laughs> same here. Same here. I mean, we can we can think of so many of those things that like quirks oh, yeah. that different people have. I'm thinking of like Bill Stewart, the way that he holds his stick and and oh yeah, and plays that that, that weird thing that he wait. I gotta find the there it is. That yeah, weird thing that he does with his his thumb yes, like that. Yes. Wait, wait there and it is. To see, to see him do that, it's fascinating. And then the other part yeah. of it is it has so much to do with his sound. And I oh, would yeah. have, you know, working for Zildjian for so many years, I would have so many people come and want Bill Stewart's ride sound. And so we pick it, It's in the hand. You know, it's him. I would say that, you know, because there was a symbol at the time um, that was Bill's symbol that he had created. And the thought was, oh, wow. well, if I get Bill's symbol, then I'll sound like Bill. But it had so much to do with his technique. Yeah. Um, I've in, got, the, I've got one that I can... Sometimes if I'm really paying attention, yes. I can get close to his oh sound God. on this one symbol. But it's, I mean, it's a, a far, it, I say close, it's close for me. It's a yes. far cry from sounding like Bill Stewart. Oh um, my gosh. But I'm sure it sounds yeah, beautiful. He, and he, yeah. He, yeah, that whole French grip thing that he's got going on is amazing. You know, another example of it may not necessarily be, you know, correct technique oh, i think right. it is correct technique yep. he's using all these different beautiful techniques and you watch his body and how he moves and i, th I think that colors his playing mm -hmm. as much as anything you know mm -hmm. yes um, yeah it's amazing. weird the weird little things you know it's so funny we're talking about technique and i'm thinking about you know like gad how he will hold sometimes he'll hold the very back of the bead of the drumstick will be mm -hmm. you know parked right there and there's something about the way he flops that stick around and it gets, it's, that's how he's getting the gad thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, yeah. He's, that's another one. I thought, gosh, man, I'd I love know. to hang out with gad. <laughs> I or, know. And the or, thing, the or thing Finny. About, I mean, for Finny, for crying out loud, I'd love to hang out with him. He's, yeah. he and, and I he, have so many mutual friends and yet somehow we've never met. Um, we have it. Ex we have exchanged email uh, a couple of times, but mm -hmm. you know we've never officially met in person. And uh, I would love to. Look, shoot, I'd drink a gallon of his bathwater if I thought it'd make me play better. <laughs> you know, the dude's amazing. You know, Vinny. Yes, uh, you know I do. I think that um, Vinny, in particular, like he's just his mind. He's such a genius. You know, he just yeah. again. I've said this before, but like. The creative genius that that makes up these superstars that are all influencers, you know, influences. Um, I feel like they access more or different parts of their brain. Or it's oh, I would agree with that. Right? Yeah, he. Right? Um, it, well, and also, you know, guys like Vinny and Steve Smith, and yeah, there's Terry Boats. You know, there's a huge long list of people who have this otherworldly ability to play, mm -hmm. and it's a perfect example of what happens when you have someone that puts in all of the time and all of the work to become good at their craft. But then on top of that, and equally as much as the hard work that they put in, they've got this beautiful creative mind mm -hmm. that is able to take that information and just 
utilize it in a beautiful way and present it in a, in a, in a very moving musical way. Right. Um, it's, there's so many just absolutely beautiful players in the world. Um, it, and the list just keeps on growing. I mean, it just seems like, you know, every time I pick up a, you know, drumhead magazine, I'm reading about somebody else who's just like carving a new path and, mm -hmm. and you know, you got to learn, Oh, wow. Okay. They're doing something cool. I got to try to learn that, you know? <laughs> right. Right. I know. And then there's this, this group of young players who's coming up who just are oh. like unbelievably talented at such a young age and yeah. blow me away too. You know, I feel like it's from both sides. It's, it's Oh amazing. yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's so inspiring and it makes me, it makes me want to practice, which is great. Mm -hmm. It keeps mm -hmm. me wanting to practice because practice yeah. can be, practice can be boring. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, you know, yeah. A, an old friend of mine once told me, I asked for the best advice he could give a young up and coming drummer. And I was, I think I was maybe 17 at the time. And he looks me in the eye and he very sternly says, never practice when you play and never play when you practice. I love and that. yeah, it's a beautiful, and he, and he apparently, he attributed, he attributed the the phrase and the statement to um, Alan Dawson. Um, so he had taken a lesson with Alan Dawson at one point in time, and he said that's that was Alan's parting remark. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So. That, yeah, and that makes a ton of sense. Um, it, it really does. I mean, you know, this the the worst place to start trying out that new con, you know, the new lick or the new concept that you've been working on the worst place to try to pull it out is on the gig. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just the, it's the absolute worst thing to do. Uh, I've years and years of doing that, uh, sometimes <laughs> inadvertently, you know, yeah. you just find yourself in the moment and go, Oh, that sounds cool. You do it. It's not cool. Yeah. And then you have to figure out how to, you know, Get explain it, it to everybody. Hey, sorry. You know, yeah. um, I don't know what happened there. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really good advice. That's that's yeah. great, and I I agree with you. And all all of those players are just so fantastic. And I I always say this, but Steve Gad, his you know he has something that's so uniquely him, and then he oh, also yeah. at the same time has this ability to play in a way that makes you feel like you can do that, and like you should oh, yeah. practice and. You know, it feels like you can grasp what he's doing, even though he has this sound that's not really attainable. Like it's his yeah. thing, but it's still, it doesn't discourage. It makes you want to. Oh yeah. Better, you know? Yeah. There's, so. there's, yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely some people I hear them play and, and it just makes me want to go home and start slamming my fingers in a drawer. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> smashing my hands with a hammer, <laughs> but know. you know, Gad you know, when I hear Bueckel play, that's what I that's that's what I think about, like slamming my hands with a hammer. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> why do I even bother? <laughs> and uh, but when I hear Gad play, I'm like, oh, I could totally do that. Oh, listen to that cool idea. And then I try right. it and I can't. <laughs> right, that's, right, right. that's the sick joke that's on us the all. Of it, right. I know. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He does all his Gadisms. And uh, yes. by the way, thank you, Steve Gad, for Gadiments. That book is amazing. Uh, it's about time you put a book out there like yes, that. Yes, yes, uh, I know. Yeah, shout out to. It's Gattabin probably the yeah. It's probably the first method book that I've ever picked up and listened to. Like, like opened it up and went, "Oh, thank God!" Oh, I love 
good. I'm sure Finally. he would love to hear that too. That's yeah, yeah, that will make him happy to hear that. I know. Oh, I I would love to meet and hang out with Steve Gann. He's I, I first heard him I wanna I mean I I'd heard his playing from years ago when I was a kid, you know, listening to, to music at in, around the house. Mm -hmm. But the first time that I knew that I was listening to Steve Gadd, somebody had given me a record and it was Tom Scott and it was uh, a record called Apple Juice. It's a live recording. Um, and I can't remember where it was in New York that they recorded it, you know, maybe like the bitter end or, you know, like one of those like famous places. And, mm -hmm. and Gadd's playing on it is just absolutely divine. I mean, it's just mm. so beautiful and so perfect and so funky. And it, it hooked me in in such a, an amazing way. I can remember on that record, he does like the, everybody talks about the Gad flutter lick, you know, you know it's, yes. just, it's an amazing vehicle for expression. And mm. I remember hearing that lick on that recording, but done in a very, a very different way than what I was expecting. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like he played half of it and stopped it with a, you know, the double kick drum to boom and didn't finish the bar. It was like this. He, he not only did something really incredible and complex, he also left plenty of space for the musical idea to just mm -hmm. kind of float out there. And it's, you know, it, it infected my brain in, in absolutely the best way. <laughs> That's you know, awesome. and it was it was because of Gad that I like discovered Steely Dan, and because of that record I discovered Steely Dan, and then from there, like I started, like really digging into all things Steely Dan. So it's your Bernard Purdy's and your Jeffrey Picaros, and you know, like all uh, that whole, you know, the Rick Murata. You know, it's like mm -hmm. you, you got that whole you know, school of playing. I was like all these really great players and, you know, there's so much information out there and there's just like, like we said, there's just so many like really beautiful players that are up and coming and just yeah. crushing it every Absolutely. day. Yes. Oh I, man. I agree. And I, you know, I, we, I feel like we could, I mean, we could talk about drummers all day, but I, I, I definitely, I love the fact that you, with Zach Brown band and also at other points in your life, you've played with incredible musicians. And I'm just thinking of, you know, I have, I have been very blessed. Um, when I played with O'Teal, uh, O'Teal Burbridge, mm -hmm. whom is the bass player for, uh, the dead now. Yeah. Um, but he was with the Allman brothers band for a, a very long while. Yeah. And he had a side project during those years called O'Teal and the Peacemakers. And through my association with O'Teal, I was able to have these beautiful experiences on stage with amazing musicians, mm -hmm. guys like Victor Wooten and Steve Bailey and, you know, John Popper from Blues Traveler. And, you know, just the list is almost unending. I met Tal Wilkenfeld when she was like in New York for the, you know, for the first time, you know. Wow. Like, yeah. I mean, and just I saw her you know, saw her play when she was just a, just really young. Yeah. And was she with, and, um, who was she with at the time? She, she was, uh, at the time she had come to, come to go to school with the, the, 
the the base collective in New York oh, City. Okay. So okay. I'm, I'm talking like she had just like come over from Australia. Wow. And yeah, and nobody really she had, like she and O'Teal had become buddies, and through so it was through O'Teal that I met Tal, and I'm sure she doesn't remember it, but I've always been a fan after hearing her play, and she actually jammed with us a few times and. Oh, that's it's just cool. yeah, but amazing player. Mm -hmm. I mean, even back then, just ridiculously good. Um, and you know, and then uh, oddly enough, like the whole, uh, you know, playing with O'Teal, like obviously at the time he was with the Allman Brothers band, so I got to run in that circle a little bit and meet uh, Butch Trucks and JMO, and then you know, play on stage with them. I had the beautiful opportunities to sit in with the Allman Brothers band and. And you know, <laughs> that's, so, that's so great. And that yeah. actually just reminds me of your story about playing with Ringo too, because you were, oh, you got to play yeah. up on stage, right? Yeah. Oh, I did. I mean, uh, it's because of because of O'Teal. I met Greg Bissonette, and he and I became fast friends, and um, just had always staying in touch with Greg. And then, you know, he's playing with Ringo's band, and it was I forget. When it was, it's 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 been several years back. Um, Ringo was playing in Birmingham, and Holly and I had purchased uh, tickets to go to see mm -hmm. him play. And I had called Richard Page, who was in the band at the time, and Greg, and said, "Hey, we've got tickets. We don't we don't want tickets, but if it's possible, we'd love to stop by backstage." You know. And say and hello. Say hi. Yeah. And just say hi. So it was one of those, you know, Richard met us outside and walked us back. Um, and then, you know, he we're, he's walking us through and like, you know, saying hello to Steve Lukather and Todd Rundgren and Greg Rowley. And, and we, he takes us to where Greg's hanging out and Greg comes over and says hello. We, catch up for a minute or two and then he goes oh have you ever met Ringo and you know here he comes walking across the room and it was so cute and, and beautiful he 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 puts his hand on my shoulder and, and says pardon me mate and like makes a beeline for my wife and, and gives her a big <laughs> hug and a kiss on the cheek and he says it's a pleasure to meet you and then he turned around and he, yeah and he looks at me and he goes sorry mate you know how it is you know I was like I would have kissed her first too you know but, I'm not offended. And uh, we I we got that. the, we had an opportunity to just sit and hang out and chat for a minute. And, at, you know, 15 minutes later, he says, hey, I got to go do this thing, but you want to sit in later? And I was like, uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, well, did you bring your own drumsticks? I was like, uh, no. He's yeah. like, we have plenty of drumsticks. And, so, I mean, like I got up and he, you know, I knew the version of, you know, with a little help from my friends that they do. Mm -hmm. uh, and they, they segue into give peace a chance. It's like a, like a medley almost. And uh, yeah, at the, at, at the at very, it's the very last thing they play. And it was such a surreal experience, you know, getting to meet Ringo and hang out with him. And, and then to like, I'm sitting behind his drum kit. And I remember in that moment, of, you know, I'm looking, I look to my left and I see Greg behind his drum kit and he's grinning. And, uh, 
And then I look up just in front of him, and there's Todd Rundgren. And I'm thinking to myself, I had his, I had Greg's poster on my wall, and, and I had Todd's poster on my wall. And I see my friend Richard Page, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like Richard Page. I had his poster on my wall when I was a kid. <laughs> and then there's Ringo right in front of me, and then you know, as I keep going to the right, there's Steve Lukather. there. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've you know had his poster on my wall, and Greg Rowley, I mean, I had his poster on my wall. It's like everybody on stage, I had their poster on my wall when I was a kid. And there I am in that moment playing on this really beautiful kit that was Ringo's. And by the way, the symbols that he had up there were absolutely beautiful sounding. And I found out much later that you had picked those out and sent them to him. I did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Those yeah. things sounded incredible. I remember I wanted the day. That day I wanted that to steal them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I don't, I, you know, he's so particular. Ringo's so, so particular yeah. about his sound. I remember the day that I was picking those symbols out and I was like, okay, I've got to nail this. <laughs> yeah. But, um, no, so who, so when you worked at Children, who was, uh, I know you did a lot of symbol picking for artists. So who was the most interesting artist to pick symbols for? Um, you know what? That's a really tough question. That's tough because everyone. Um, has everyone has a, a genuinely unique sound that they're going for. Yes, so absolutely. Yeah. Like picking Ringo, symbols for me would be like, just like throw whatever in the bag and send it. It's like, <laughs> Well, you know what? It's interesting because some of the symbols are more consistent from one to the next yeah. than others. Right. So right. a lot of artists who play, Constantinople's, for instance, you know, would, would want really specific weight requirements. So that was, that yeah. was always something that was a part of it. Um, or something on the lower side, something on the darker side. Um, right. Max Weinberg, I remember loved, uh, he loves a Zildjian symbols, but on the darker side of a, so, oh, you know, wow. you would sort through the racks and hit every one of them and find like the darkest sounding a, um, and A's are traditionally bright symbols. So, yeah. um, so that was always fun, but yeah, that, that I remember that day of picking those symbols for Ringo because he didn't, you know, break symbols or need a oh, lot. Yeah. Um, so when that request came in from his drum tech, Jeff, I was just like, oh, this is super cool. Um, you know, just to have that opportunity to, to select his symbols. And I only <laughs> briefly met him once, um, in Boston just to kind of say hello um, on one of those tours that he was doing where Greg yeah. was on there. Um, yeah. But what a sweet He's such guy. a joyful person too. That that whole peace and love thing is not an act. That's, that's genuinely who he is. Mm -hmm. And you don't realize it until you're standing in front of him and you you, you see it and you're like, oh, wow, this this guy truly loves everyone. Yes. I mean, it's, yes. It, it, and it, it's, more, it's more than just something he says. It's the way he lives. It's mm. beautiful. And inspiring. Mm -hmm. So I gotta, I, I gotta ask because I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, because I'm curious this way. <laughs> what was it like to pick symbols up for Gad? Was that a, a tough assignment, or was yes. that something that was relatively easy? Yes. Well, and you know what, Steve is is um, he is one of those drummers who he likes what he has, and if you if you have seen <laughs> some of the pictures of him playing like mostly broken in the past, but yeah. broken symbols yeah you yeah. know you know and there was actually a symbol 
with like a very particular chunk taken out that you can see uh Paul Simon actually was playing yeah. Steve Gadd's kit. And there's a picture of Paul with that chunk missing from the symbol. But oh, Steve yeah. played that for a long time. And I remember, I remember Gavin Harrison coming to visit Zildjian. And he said, oh, yeah, you know, I really want a symbol that sounds just like that Steve Gadd symbol with the cut out of it. And I said, we have that symbol. And I went and grabbed it because we had this bag of <laughs> symbols that was Steve's from the past. And we took a picture with it with Gavin and he, it was just, it was the coolest thing. And wow. Um, but yeah, Steve um, really particular about his sound and he really likes what he has. Like he has this set of hi-hat symbols. That's like very particular to what he has. So anytime a new symbol was coming out, a new symbol line, um, we would send a set to Steve, of course, you know, yeah. and to, to check it out try and see what's new. And it's so funny because I would call, you know, like a month later and Steve would be like, yeah, I haven't checked those out yet. Like I like what I like my symbols. Hey, I, I know the feeling. I mean, models, I've got, right? yeah, you like I'm a symbol holic and I've got, I've got tons of symbols and I always end up grabbing the same three oh, or four, you know, absolutely. Depending absolutely. on the, depending on the musical situation. So for me, like I have a set of symbols and they're all old and I've had them forever um, I, I've had one of them. One of them is an early American K oh, from wow. the, the, yeah, it's like it, it's beautiful, mm -hmm. but I, I will grab those. Those are my bebop symbols. If I'm playing like a small combo group thing mm -hmm. and, and then I have a whole other set that I play with Zach Brown band and, yep. you know, out on the, out on the road and occasionally somebody will, you know, contact me and want me to do a session and they will specifically say, I want you to use the symbols that you use with Zach Brown band. I'm like, okay, great. I got, yeah, I got that. Yeah. And then I have a whole other set that I really prefer recording with, you know, which mm -hmm. is, you know, it, it, it is what it is, but I, I have a ton of symbols and, and I love them. I think they're very interesting in instruments. Um, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, it's a, it's a really, really important part of a drummer's sound you know yeah you can, oh yeah you can really make a, a sound for yourself off of the symbols that you play and i we can think yeah. of so many drummers that have done exactly that and oh yeah and then yeah, also I mean, symbol sounds in music especially when things were recorded you know before everything was oh yeah was compressed and um digital oh. a lot of things <laughs> are digital or electronic but like back in the day you hear some of that music and like the cymbal sound is essential to the sound yeah. of that music. Like Elvin Jones or Tony Williams, like yeah. going all the way back to that. And then like you get into the, you get into the seventies and early eighties where you had like all those ECM recordings and you had guys like Jack DeJanet and Bob Moses and Peter Erskine, you know, and, and <laughs> those cymbal sounds were, were so such an integral and, and you know, just integral part of the overall sound of the songs and the the material yes. that they were doing, exactly as you said. Yes. Um, especially like if you're listening to the you know Jack DeJanet playing with uh, with Jarrett, you know, like those uh, all those standards that they did, mm. and the way Jack plays and and the way he was playing the cymbals, you know, mm -hmm. it's just I mean. 
gosh, you go. We can talk all day about that. I you know, know. <laughs> just go back and forth and pull out yeah. any great recording, and it's just like, oh yeah, yeah. It's it's de- it's definitely like a key. It's a key part. Yeah. Um, it, it's. I think I, it was Elvin Jones said once that every symbol is a crash and every symbol is a ride. You know, I think it was it, Elvin Jones. Yeah. 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 It's a, a beautiful quote, and it and it it's really true. I mean, you can. You can use any, you know, it is what it, it, it is what you choose to make it. Yes. You know? Yeah. It is how you play it. Right. Yeah. I it's agree. true. Yeah. I, I love that. And I, I'm just, you know, what you said about sitting up there playing Ringo's drum kit and looking at the other musicians that you're playing with. And it must've oh. been one of those moments where you're like, is this my life? Like, <laughs> yeah. How did I get here? Yes. It, it's, you know, what it, when I have those moments, and and they still happen. Yeah. Uh, they, I've been blessed with a lot of them with Zach Brown Band uh, doing TV appearances with, you know, Willie Nelson's on the stage or James Taylor's on the stage or, you know, Amos Lee's on the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, getting to play on stage with Cheryl Crow or, or John Mayer, you know, just like Dwight Yoakam, the list is long and long. We played with Kenny Rogers. He wow. came and sat in with us and you know, um, John Fogarty, Bruce Springsteen, Dave Grohl, you know, it's just the list is on and on and on and on. And it, you know, those moments are the moments where I try to just take it in, observe it, recognize the, the impact that, that it potentially has. And then, and then inside I don't know how good I am at showing it on the outside, but on the inside, I always take a moment to be grateful mm. and, and to have a moment of humility uh, within that moment. Um, be, because those things are, those memories are things that, you know, no one can take that away. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's, it's granted, I'm not going to be writing any kind of crazy book, you know, uh, well, you never know. At the end of a career, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. if I do, I'll just be telling stories about how fun it was for me to meet these people. Yeah. You know, how, how crazy it is to, you know, to 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 just observe, mm. you know, all these rock stars. And, and, like, they're, you know, when you go see Ringo's band, you know, those are rock stars. You know what yes. I mean? Yes. Those, it's the interesting thing to me about uh, Ringo's all-star band is Every single one of those guys in that band had a moment as a child where they were watching the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. And that was the impetus and the inspiration for them to become rock and roll musicians and, and right. just become good musicians. Yeah. And so I'm too young to have had that moment of watching the Beatles mm-hmm. on the Ed Sullivan show. But those guys who play in his band and guys like Gad and Picaro and Finney and Steve Smith and, you know, Terry Bozio, those were, those were my Ringo's. You know what I mean? Those were my guys. That was my Beatles moment, you know, seeing, you know, MTV. Like I remember I was, you know, 10 years old when MTV first, hit the airwaves and they actually played music back then. Yes. Um, music videos. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that was, you know, seeing, seeing that, you know, that was, 
that was kind of my Beatles moment was seeing Absolutely. those performances on TV, you know, or on the yes. Johnny Carson show, you know, like yeah. as a kid, but staying up too late, you know, past my bedtime. Yeah. <laughs> really yeah, crazy. MTV was that, that was it. That's how I, when I was a kid, that's, that's how I saw drummers and, you know, seeing like Sheila E and. Oh yeah. Um, Amazing. You know, oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. And for me, that was a huge moment because actually like seeing a woman do that and previous to seeing Sheila out there and, and actually like as a front woman as well. Um, it was, yeah, I had in influences that were, they were all male. And so that was huge for me to be like, Oh yeah, okay, sure. You know, and I can, if I want to, I can dress nicely and put makeup on and, you know, oh, yeah. not have to be one of the guys all the time. So yeah. that, that was great. But um, I mean, she was she was probably she Sheila was probably the first person where someone says, "Ah, oh, you play like a girl," and that was a cool thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like she was the first person to flip that script. You know, right, right, and yeah. and everybody wanted to play like Sheila. Yeah, and you know, I I remember distinctly like, hearing that on the radio and seeing her on on MTV and and mm -hmm. like she was playing. Not only was she doing her thing with the timbales of singing and being a front, uh, you know, yeah. being a front person and it leading the band, but then she was also like playing drums for Prince mm -hmm. and crushing it. Now, I mean, yes. not by a little bit. I mean, crushing it. She's an amazing player and she always is. has been just so inspiring. And, and I think she kicked open the door, kicked, kicked it down for a lot of, a lot of women mm -hmm. to come forth and and really you know i i don't want to say that it was it, it it's you know it was a man's game of you know playing drums but it was dominated yeah. you know the, the the dominant yeah sort of look of what you saw there's a lot of men yeah, yeah. and she well, comes in and just kicks that door down and yeah, like does did. away with all of it's like you know Let's, yeah, she, let's kicked, do she this. kicked it down. She kicked it down in her high heels too. You know? Yeah, yes, yeah, she did. <laughs> she did it her way. I love. I just. I love Sheila, and I love what she did too. Um, yeah. You know, and I was the kind of kid who was going to play drums regardless. Like, it never really mattered to me that it wasn't like ladylike or it wasn't common or whatever um, at the time. Yeah, but, but there, there, there had always been. You know, girl. As long as there's been rock and roll, there's been yeah. girl bands that were yes. all women. You know, there yeah. were all women uh, big bands back in yes. the back in the 30s and 40s. Absolutely, yes. I and you know, it's it's amazing to see. Sometimes you, you know, you don't even know. You look back and you're like, oh my gosh, wait a minute, that person, you know, that that was a woman back there playing drums, and yeah. it was just, it was just like really wasn't as, I mean, very, very few and, and far between. And I think we've come so far, so, so far. And yeah. I'm so grateful for that. And actually in the industry part of it too, um, there are so many like women executives in the, the, the record industry side of things and, oh, yeah, sure. you know, and then, and then I go to percussion trade shows and I'm not <laughs> one of four women. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to be like that, you know. Oh um, man, yeah. Uh, so it's it's really it's really fantastic to see how things have changed 
you know, just in the past 20 years even. So, and I see all these young oh, girls yeah. coming up, young girls playing, getting into it, you know, doing hit like a girl, posting videos. And it just, it makes, yeah. me, it makes me super happy, but it's, it's, it's good. I mean, you know, it, it's, the, the beautiful thing is, like, I can remember years ago, I'm going to say this at first, you know, like, years ago, I can remember, um, I can remember people saying, oh, man, she plays good for a girl. Yes. You yeah, know, like, yep. they had to qualify that. And, and I never really agreed with it, you know, because it's mm -hmm. like, now they just, just, they play good. You know, they yeah. play good or they don't play good. Like, but, you know, I've always looked at, I've always sort of approached it that, you know, what I, what I think is not necessarily normal. Um, and so it, it, it never, that never really sort of sat well with me. And then as life continues on, you know, you find these inspiring people like Sheila E., Mm -hmm. And you would like, I can remember, you know, like granted this was, I was in high school and I remember having someone else in high school go, oh man, she plays really good for a girl. Like, no, she plays mm -hmm. really good. Yeah, she can outplay the, tons of people. It has nothing to do with, with gender. Right. And, and so, and I think, you know, over the last 20 years, especially, mm. um, but definitely, uh, in the last like, 10, the last decade or so, you've just really reached this point where it doesn't matter. You say, oh, they're a good player. And that's yeah. it. And that's Absolutely. the qualifier. It's like, are you a good player? Do you play well? Yeah. And, and I think that's a really awesome place for us all to be in. You Absolutely. Know? The drumming is, fun. drumming is such a huge community anyway, you know, and it's, it's, it's like this, it's like a secret club. That's it not is. so secret, you know. What I mean? It's the best club, though. It's yeah. So I mean, I, I wear a Zildjian T-shirt walking down the street, you know, and people go, "Oh, you play?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah I play." Yeah. And uh, and yes. then it's what's that six E you use, and that's that starts the conversation, and you end up mm -hmm. meeting some really beautiful people, and and it's this really great club, you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's it's a joy to be a member of it. You know, I'll say that much. <laughs> yes. I agree with you. I think it's the best community, the most supportive and, you know, yeah. it's just, it's, it's incredible. And I'm really, I am grateful every day. Like you, you said you try to remember in those moments and be grateful and, yeah. and, and humble. And I, I feel the same way. Just every time I get to interview somebody, every time I have, um, a conversation with someone like Steve Gadd, where I just oh. think, you know, it's, it's, I'm so grateful for these, these friendships and these um, connections and just the, the beautiful people that are in my life, never so much as the past year and a half when, yeah. you know, and it's been for all of us, such a challenge. You mentioned earlier, the industry yeah. just being in a free fall it was like this, that things changed for all of us. And, yeah. and then, you know, it's very slow to come back. Um, but yeah, the joining, the coming together of this beautiful community and support of each other, the music industry in general, supporting. Oh each yeah. Other, um, it's been beautiful to see. And also I think this time period has made people in general understand how important music is. 
Oh, definitely. I mean, it's the the handful of shows that we did, um, you know, back between the, the beginning of August and, or the, the end of July mm-hmm. and about halfway through October. Yeah. So the, the dates that the shows that we put on and during that time period this year, um, full house everywhere. Um, there was just a different vibe coming and a different energy coming out of the audience. Everyone was really, you, you could feel it. Everyone needed it. You need where we are as, as creatures where we are congregational creatures. We need, mm-hmm. we need personal interaction and we don't need to do it always, you know, through the help of technology. I mean, right. this is how we, this is how we get beyond long distances. Yes, um, yes. But, you know, we, we get beyond these long distances with the help of technology, but we still need the one-on-one close interactions with each other you and do. seeing a venue, you know, you know, there were all the hoops you had to jump through, you know, to be able to yeah. attend and, and yeah. hoops that we had to jump through to just to be able to put on a show. Um, all the hoops noted and put aside, seeing a, seeing an amphitheater filled with fans who were there having a great time mm-hmm. and, and seeing and feeling this level of, this energy of camaraderie and love and togetherness was a really, really inspiring feeling to have. And, and every single moment on stage uh, for me, every single moment on stage this year was absolutely uh, humbling. And I was so grateful mm-hmm. and, and, and felt so deeply blessed Um even, you know, even in the earlier part of this year, back in March, uh, Zach Brown Band got together and we, we, you know, we all camped out in the studio. We made a record. Yes. We just put the record out. You know? Yes. Um, Congratulations on that, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, we, uh, we just recently, our first single off the record uh, just went number one on country radio just uh, like a couple of weeks ago, which was really great. Um, um even you know doing that it can it, it was such a beautiful experience to we had been apart for basically a year mm-hmm. and to get back together and because you know when you're hanging out on the road all the time you, you're listening to a lot of the same music right and you might stumble upon something new and the first thing you do is run and tell your pals hey man check this out so we're all kind of listening to, we're bringing different stuff in, but we're all listening to the same stuff. Mm-hmm. And we had spent a year apart, and so we weren't listening to the same stuff. And I so love that. the interesting thing was we we get together to make a record. We have a common goal, but our our tastes, our musical tastes, are now a little bit further apart from where they normally are, and we're incorporating them, and we're also like kind of working around it and being a little bit more forgiving and giving with each other. It was really mm-hmm. beautiful, you know, and such a blessing to be able to do that. And then, you know, we didn't know what, what we had no idea what the rest of the year would hold right. and things worked out. We got to play some show dates. Um, there were a lot of bands and acts that did. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's so all of the crews and all the people who help out, you know, they were blessed with a little bit of work. I, I would love to see everything go back to like just full tilt boogie, you yeah. know, the way it was. Yeah. Um, there's still a lot of people out there who, who haven't, you know, haven't fared well, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and my heart goes out to them. It's, 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 it's really tough. Yeah, I agree. And I, I can't wait until things are back running full speed. I think it's like I said earlier, it's been so slow to come yeah. back, but, but it'll I, get there. Yeah, it will. It, it's going to take a little longer, but it will definitely get there. I can, I can, my, my fingers are crossed for like next spring and summer to just be, you know, incredible opportunities for live music again. Yeah. And um, I'm excited. I saw some dates that you guys have a few dates in the yeah. spring, summertime. Yes, we are. We are planning to uh, fill up the calendar as much as we can handle, um, which is, good. you know, everybody's got families and, and, and kids. And so you have family mm-hmm. obligations. So we like to try to, we don't, we're not the kind of band that goes out on tour for six months straight and never goes home. Right. We're, we're the kind of band we go out for like two or three weekends in a row. And, you know, yeah. we play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, maybe a Sunday, Absolutely. you know, and that's, that's, so that's more our speed. And, and, but we, we will, our plan is to do, do a lot of dates. They haven't announced anything officially yet, mm-hmm. uh, except for a handful of, uh, I think they're festival dates. Yep. Um, but our plan uh, barring any unforeseen circumstances is to get out and do, uh, do tour dates, like headlining dates that, you know, and it's, I, I I genuinely and sincerely hope it happens. I think it will pretty, we feel good about it. Uh, It's just, you know, got to jump through the hoops. Yeah. A lot of hoop jumping, but you get there and I will post links to everything links to the band website links to your social oh, yeah. so that everyone can follow along and also you yeah. know check out I suck at social media by the way I'm terrible oh, no. about it <laughs> <laughs> well they can they can still follow along with the band and everything too yeah. and, and um and you know check back for when those tour dates are announced because that's exciting um, yeah hopefully soon thank you so much Chris it was amazing to catch up with you and I'm thank so you. grateful for your friendship I'm grateful to you for your friendship and for all the love that you've shown me over the years. You're amazing. And I feel so blessed to just be a part of this. I'm, I love watching all the episodes. I mean, <laughs> Thank you. I'm so glad. I'm so <laughs> glad. And I, I, you know, always grateful for you and I will see you soon. Hopefully back at Fenway park. Yes. Hey, you know, if you, if you want to see me somewhere else, you, you you tell me you're coming. I'll take care of the rest. Okay. That sounds like a plan. Bring bring Matt and the kids, and, and we'll have a good time. We'll do it. That sounds great. <laughs> thank you, Chris. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Sarah. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in today. Join us each Tuesday for new episodes of Sarah Hagen Backstage.